this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. And thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with the Relax Back UK show. This week, the show is made possible by the kind sponsorship of AlgoCells. AlgoCells uses the body's own stem cells' ability to regenerate tissue to treat joint and spine injuries and pain. Check out their website, algocells.com. This week, a very wide range of topics. A difficulty swallowing or dysphagia is a surprisingly common problem. Uh, leading to all sorts of difficulties. In fact, my own mum suffered from this and it greatly affected her quality of life. We can even do um, neuromuscular electronic stimulation and all sorts of fancy things to help um, the, the swallow muscles out. I speak to Sandra Robinson, a speech and language therapist, about some of the issues, causes and what can be done to help. Then it's Melissa Jones of Action for Global Health and she talks about health issues that are brought on or made worse by climate change and how prevalent they are right now. Heat waves like the summer just gone are now like 30 times more likely to happen due to climate change. Then from the health of the planet and everyone on it to the health of just me. I come to the end of a month of going to the gym, hear from my personal trainer about how it all went. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at AlgaCells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. AlgaCells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide, where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Sandra Robinson is a speech and language therapist and the subject is dysphagia or a difficulty swallowing. So I started by asking her if I pronounced dysphagia correctly. That's a good question and the one that everybody asks first. Yes, because it's, uh, who's heard of it? It's dysphagia. Dysphagia. Okay, right. Well, so the first question has got to be, what, what, what is it? It is the medical term for a swallowing problem. Um, it's actually a symptom rather than a condition or a disease state itself and there's always something else that causes dysphagia and right. so if you do have an eating drinking and swallowing problem that's what we call it all right i got it so um it i gotta say it doesn't sound like the domain of a speech therapist it mm-hmm. sounds more like an ent ear nose and throat doctor sort of issue it's a good point mike so you wouldn't be surprised, I guess, that speech therapists would appear in ear, nose and throat um, clinics and so on, working alongside consultants and nurses. Um, it's kind of grown up over the past few decades to become our specialism because we deal with the mouth and the throat um, and respiratory and to some extent gastro um, disorders in the past. So across the world in the past 25 years or so um it's become the specialism of speech and language therapists okay all right well i i, I feel some 
I, I don't know if affinity is quite the right word because my my mum had it towards the end of her mm, life, okay. mm -hmm. and um, it kind of it it affected her greatly and it, it limited her life because um, well she ended up actually being fed um, getting her food via a tube mm. and, and and a pump you know and it was quite a bit of a a rigmarole. Yes. Um, but in, in, it was amazing, actually. In spite of eating like that, she still kept baking my dad's favourite foods and, oh. you know, mince pies. <laughs> making it. So, well, and that goes to show that, yeah, that goes to show the importance of food and drink in our lives, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. But before she got to that stage, it, it did affect her uh, enormously in, um, well, going out to eat and if you know making sure the food that she ate was kind of liquidy you know so mm. she couldn't she had real problems with just dry dry food and that sort of thing so i i i'm a, i am i have awareness of you know how but um what sort of causes it because i'm not sure my our, our family our family ever really quite figured out what caused it for my mum so but are there loads of different causes it what's what's the deal yes there are a heck of a lot of um causes and we would be here all day if i listed them all but i will give you a brief overview um, and yeah. it can it can happen <clears throat> it can happen at any stage in in life so some babies are born um with a, a problem um swallowing right through to old age and for those who i treat adults um it's usually um something like a neurological problem a stroke a brain injury or a progressive disease like parkinson's or it could be um the result of a head and neck cancer or ear nose and throat condition um it's it's also um a significant number of people with a learning disability have difficulties swallowing um and sometimes it's a mental health or a psychological aspect to it as well um so this that's just a few there's a yeah. significant number of, of other causes and <clears throat> simply aging will do it as well um frailty having lots of other um comorbidities lots of other uh, medical conditions and sometimes the treatment for those conditions causes the swallowing problem so for example okay. if you do have um some kind of head and neck cancer the cancer might not cause you to swallow have swallowing difficulties the treatment, the radiation therapy, or the surgery might cause the swallowing problems. Okay, so this this is not simple. <laughs> it's not no it's not a simple problem to diagnose. So uh, I I suspect it's not a simple problem to try and do something about either. We'll, we'll come on to that. But just how mm -hmm. common is it? How how many people suffer from this? So it it is difficult to get precise stats because. Um, it's one of those very strange things. Um, it's a symptom rather than the condition itself. Sure, yeah. But <clears throat> we think there's probably about one in 17 people that do experience dysphagia during their lifetime globally. And that comes to an estimate of about 8% of the world's population. So to give that a figure, um, that's five, about 590 million people. And in okay. the UK, around 5 million people will present with some kind of eating, drinking and swallowing problem. Goodness me. Um, yeah. Does anyone know if this is a, a, a symptom or a thing of the, the developed world? Oh, no, it's across it's across the world, yeah. although although things like heart disease and chronic um, obstructive pulmonary disease from smoking, COPD and um, obesity, and some of those diseases that we do regard as um, those of the West, they can cause dysphagia. So right. it can be that we see it more in the West, but then we're also more likely to be able to diagnose it um, if we have more developed um, healthcare systems. But dysphagia can come about as a result of things like malnutrition as well. Okay. So if you do live in a country that's um, war-torn or had famine, um, and 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 or you simply haven't been treated for other difficulties um as effectively um as could have been the case in the past you could also experience dysphagia wherever you live all right 
Yeah, all right. In in the case of my mum, it, it kind of I think it kind of snuck up on her. It, it, it's mm. you know she didn't wake up one day and it was you know fully formed. It slowly got worse and worse and worse. Is 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 that normal? And if so, what are the sort of first sort of signs that there could be a problem coming down the road, uh, and it might be sensible to try and do something now? It's. It's different for, for for different people. It is so thoroughly individual in the way that it presents, but it, it is um, the case that we see it more and more in older people because there are more older people. Um, yeah. For example, nursing homes, um, 50 to 75% of them, will um, there will be residents with um, a swallowing problem. And it does come with ageing. So if you, if you, um, if you took a drink right now, you wouldn't think about it. It would go, go down the right way, um, all things being equal. And you would uh, the swallow reflex would have kicked in immediately. But as you get older, that reflex kicks in later and later. So what I mean by that is the food or drink might be a bit further down the throat before it kicks in. So already you're having to compensate for a change as a result of ageing. And then if you have something else on top of that, um, like a stroke, or a progressive disease or dementia, then that gets even harder to manage. And it can be that it starts to hit the airway rather than going down the right way. Um, also, we've, we can become much more frail. So we're understanding more and more about frailty in healthcare and in medicine. And in and of itself, that can be enough to knock off the swallow such that you start to have um, increasing problems with it. And you can get stuck in a bit of a cycle because if things go the wrong way and give you a chest infection, then because it's landed on the lungs, a chest infection can make the swallowing harder. Right. Um, so we have to try and break that cycle if that happens as well. And and that is one of the things as we get older, sometimes breaking those cycles gets more and more difficult to do. Yeah, I can imagine it becoming a bit of a vicious, vicious cycle. Mm. All right. So what what can be done? Do, do you need to like I don't know strengthen the muscles? Do um, say that right, can be an we'll, option. We'll have a load of singing lessons or something. You know, what, <laughs> what do you do? I don't think my patients enjoy me singing. Um, there's a significant number of options available to us, and it depends very much on what's happening to that individual. So this isn't in this is always individualised treatment. Why has this person got dysphagia in the first place? Because we need to understand: is there a chance it can get better? If you've just had a stroke, you're probably not going to have anything to eat and drink for a few days, possibly, because you're very poorly. And if you start to recover spontaneously and with some rehab, well, then we can start to do some swallow rehab. And that might be some exercises. It might be some strengthening work. There's protocols that we can follow. Um, we can even do um, neuromuscular electronic stimulation and all sorts of fancy things to help um, the, the swallow muscles out and help people um, eat and drink a little bit more or start to increase the textures. As you said, your mum sounded like she was on a liquid or a puree diet. We might yeah. start there and work up to more normal food that requires a lot of chewing and swallowing. Or it might be that rehab isn't an option. And some people, it's the dysphagia is going to progress and get worse. For example, we'll, we would know that will happen in a progressive um, neurological disorder like Parkinson's or MND or Huntington's. Um, so we manage the problem. We compensate. And that's where the food texture modification comes in with food and drink to try and stop it hitting the airway. And we do also support people at, um, at end of life so they can still have some tastes a little bit of quality, um, something to enjoy in their last days. Okay, so th th there's not really a cure very often. It's it's a case of managing the situation. Oh, we do resolve some. No, we do cure some people of it. No, absolutely. Oh, okay. um, it's just that it's such a spectrum, Mike. There are so many different ways that it presents. But yes, we can. Um, I I <clears throat> I'll give you a case example without mentioning um, any names. Confidentiality, obviously. But um, a, a gentleman who had had a brain tumour removed and on the operating table, he had a stroke. So very, very severe difficulties. Um, he was nil by mouth when I met him. Um, and we started with just a few spoonfuls of um, water or yoghurt 
Um, I gave him um, a whole raft of um, therapy exercises to do. Um, and we used a little device as well that helped with that. And over a six month period, he went from being completely nil by mouth to meeting his goal. And his goal was to have a normal Christmas dinner. Okay. Safely and enjoyably. And he did. Okay. Well, that, that, that sounds like a, 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 a success story. Absolutely. 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 He put the work in. Um, he really did put work in it. I kind of, uh, uh, the analogy I sometimes give, because nobody does know about swallowing problems, the analogy I give is that it's like physio for the mouth and throat. Okay. And and if you, if, you, if you do the work, and you have to do the work, I would argue, with the food and drink, you know, it's functional, it's what you would normally do. The best therapy for swallowing is swallowing, but it's right. up to us speech therapists to work out what's the safest way to progress this. How much, how often, how frequently, um, how much effort do you need to put into something? What are the best strategies and manoeuvres to employ? All that sort of thing. Okay. You you mentioned some electrical stimulation. Just enlarge on that a little bit. You know, what, what's that? How does that work? Yeah, there's, there's two or three companies out there who provide um, the, um, the, the, the little electrodes and the, the the gadgets where we can stimulate the muscles around the the throat so if if you as a chap you know where your adam's apple is you'll be able to feel yeah. it and if, if you're a woman you can still feel your, your larynx move up and down when you swallow and either side of that you can put these little electrodes and you might even be able to do it on the lower part of the face and if you send messages to those muscles, those muscles might then start to be able to send some messages back to the brain and say, we're, we're meant to be working. <laughs> we're, we're meant to be able to swallow. This is for people who've got a neurological um, reason for a swallowing problem. And it just starts that process off, process off of messages back and forth between the brain and the muscles. Okay. Um, and practicing swallowing whilst it zaps away at that muscle so it's a very, um, very mild electric shock. Oh, really mild, really mild. And um, obviously tingle, we can't possibly. do, sorry? A little tingle. Yes. And it, I've had it done to me um, when I was training. Um, I, was a, right. I was a guinea pig. It does feel unusual at first, but it's not It's not painful. And, um, and of course, us speech therapists always need to make sure that what we're doing is challenging the system so that we are um, rehabbing the problem but that we're not taking it too far because then sure. it would be okay. ineffective and uncomfortable yeah all right um something else you've, you've alluded that it can lead to other, other problems you know infections mm. and lung infections that sort of thing um yeah. what you know what 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 can it actually lead to you know and how serious can that be it can be very serious. Um, some people with dysphagia, unfortunately, have choked to death. Um, or some people do experience a choking episode that's very frightening and affects their psychological state and um, a fear of um, eating. If small particles of food and drink continue down in the, into the airway and they're not completely coughed and cleared up, then that can result in a pneumonia. When things go the wrong way down into the trachea, into the airway and into the lungs, that's called the aspiration. So you can get something called aspiration pneumonia. That would require antibiotics. And the older you are and the frailer you are, or the more reduced your immune system is, the more difficult it is to survive that. Right. Um, it can just it can also cause chest infections. Um, and a lot of people, 50% of people with dysphagia are at significant risk of malnutrition as well. So you can see weight loss and you can see dehydration. Goodness me. So it's a serious thing. Right. It is. If, if people are listening to this and think, all right, I'm a bit worried about, you know, my parents, myself or whoever it may be. I want to find out a bit more information to see if there's something I should be doing or, you know, whatever. Where can people just find out a bit more about this? Where's a good source? So really good source. If you're not sure if you or a loved one has got dysphagia and you want to check, but you don't want to be looking at all of the really scary stuff on the Internet, 
Um, then if you um, type in EAT10, E-A-T-1-0, into the search engine, and it will come up with a lovely survey that's just 10 statements and some numbers, some ratings for each statement. And at the end, it'll give you a number, and that number will tell you if you've got a difficulty that you need to contact your GP about, um, who might then refer you on to a speech therapist. It's it's really simply laid out. It's all in layman's terms, and it helps you to understand if you've got a problem. And then if you if you do and you want further support online, two really good places to go. One is nestlehealthscience.co.uk. That's nestlehealthscience.co.uk. And the place that tells you all about the food and drink levels. For example, you mentioned your mum. It sounds like she was on liquidized or puree. That comes from something called the International Dysphagia Diet Standardization Initiative, IDSI for short. I double I'm glad there's a short. I know, I know. It's a, ironically, it's a mouthful. Um, but <laughs> idsi.org um, is the website, and that tells you all about the um, global standards that we have for the different levels of food and drink modified textures when you have dysphagia. Okay. How about the NHS website? Anything good on that? It, there is. If you Google NHS and dysphagia, it, it will come up with the main um, advice um, uh, webpage and also your local NHS speech therapy departments, both for community and hospital, may well have some information on their own websites. Um, they're always really good to look at um, as, and, and, and give you um, an idea of who to who to contact and who to talk to. Good. All right. I, I think this is potentially important for a lot of people. So, uh, Sandra, yes. thank you very much indeed for chatting. Pleasure. Thank you, Mike. The station that makes you feel good. Nagging pain. We at Alka-Cells know that a small amount of the patient's own bone marrow and blood cells can treat many painful conditions with regenerative orthopaedic therapy. This is an attractive treatment option for painful joints, back pain, sports injuries and many other conditions. It may avoid the need for surgery altogether. Alka-Cells. Part of a network of 50 Regenex clinics worldwide where over 60,000 patients have been treated and helped. Alka-Cells. Life is more beautiful with less pain. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Melissa Jones is from the Action for Global Health Network and I started by asking her about herself, the charity and their message. Hi Mike, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, so I am the uh, Digital uh, Comms and Campaigns Officer for Action for Global Health and of course, um, you know, a passionate health advocate, which is why I'm here today to tell your listeners a little bit more about some of the climate change and health work that we're doing. All right, so well, maybe a good a good place to start would be just tell us a little bit about about the charity, a bit more about the charity. Sure. So, um, Action for Global Health is a membership network of um, over fifty organisations and charities uh, working together to champion health for all, which essentially means. You know, no matter who you are or where you live, we all deserve the right to good health and access to the essential healthcare that we need. So whether that's seeing a doctor when you've got concerns or, you know, getting your COVID-19 vaccine, uh, we just believe that um, everyone has the fundamental right to a healthy future, which, of course, for, for much of the world's population, um, lacking health services um, is not a reality for them, which is uh, what we're championing. OK, very good. And within that, You've got a specific uh, campaign that you're running just now. Uh, what, what's that in particular? So um, it's through this advocacy work that um, we ended up with 
um, how the Healthy Futures campaign was born, because it's um, through the Healthy Futures campaign, it's more uh, public facing. So we've uh, so we're able to kind of uh, to speak directly to the public um, about more of our advocacy work and um, bringing people together um, to become advocates themselves. So it's um, through the campaign, we aim to unite campaigners, just like your listeners. Uh, to call on the government to achieve um, this overall goal of health for all so that everybody has the essential health care that they need. And of course, now more than ever in a um, you know post lockdown world, um, obviously uh, we're still dealing with COVID, you know, it's, it's not business as usual. You know, we have to change, we have to adapt. And of course um, we all all over the world have to play our part um, in that global healthy future. And so, but is there not a, a campaign at the moment that's looking at health issues and uh, climate change and how those two are interrelated? Yeah. Yeah, so under our, our Healthy Futures um, campaign kind of umbrella, we're um, the focus of our current campaign, um, our Healthy Futures climate change campaign. Um, we are focusing on um, basically like ensuring that the government, uh, lobbying government so that we can ensure that they phase out fossil fuels to ensure our healthy futures and uh, our healthy futures and, uh, the, and that of the planet as well. Um, so we're um, we're trying to get a, as much cert support as possible um, from the public um, to um, to sign a letter, a campaign letter that we've got um, going to the Secretary of State for Common uh, for Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Affairs, James Cleverly, and Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, ensure the UK government recommits to phasing out fossil fuels and investing in green energy for the sake of our health and the planet's. Um, okay. So right. well, there, there, there will be um, a, a website or a place where people can can go, and I'll get you to uh, mention that at, at the end of the the chat because it's always good to have like a, a go to action. I think for listeners to do, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have that. We'll have that at the end. And if I forget, please do remind okay. me, Mel. But just coming <laughs> back know, to some, some of the that. some of the issues about climate change and uh, and health. You know, obviously, there's a, lots of things happening with climate change around the globe at the moment but can you kind of come up with a, a couple of sort of real concerns that uh, regarding health that are being driven by you know changing climate truly I, yeah the climate change represents uh, one of um, you know the greatest threats to global health we've seen this century and the impacts that it's having um, due in part to our continued dependency on fossil fuels, which is at the heart of this Healthy Futures climate change campaign, the impacts of climate change, such as rising sea levels, droughts, heat waves, and um, things like that, that harming people's health and leading to increased risk of a range of, of health issues. Uh, one of those being um, particularly felt in East Africa at the moment, you know, due to the droughts, um, is an increase in malnutrition. Um, which is part and due to the impacts of climate change causing extreme weather events, um, such as what I said before with rising sea levels, drought, flooding, wildfires, all of which are having a detrimental effect on agriculture and food security. Um, leading and to this what, issue. Just, just was it last week or two weeks ago, massive, awful flooding in Pakistan. Yes, yes. And, and of course, everyone will have seen that on, on, the, on the news, aren't they? Yeah, which, uh, you know, which in itself, climate change causing, um, you know, humanitarian crises that, you know, as, uh, as a global community, uh, we're trying to respond to. We're finding that it's the, you know, the world's poorest and those in middle, lower middle income countries that are paying the price for, for this climate crisis, even though they've played almost no part in creating it. Um, you know, particularly with malnutrition, we have a climate related kind of a hunger crisis in Gulf countries from Mali to Madagascar, um, East Africa, as I mentioned, um, that don't have the health infrastructure to cope with an explosion in like particularly like child malnutrition. Um, so it's then having kind of a knock on effect from there. Um, also, one of uh, the major issues that climate change is affecting is uh, non communicable communicable diseases. Um, which is a diseases that essentially can't be passed from person to person. So these are diseases like cardiovascular diseases, autoimmune diseases, strokes, 
heart disease, cancer, diabetes, kidney disease, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, like the list, like Mike truly goes on. How how Um, does um, global warming affect, affect those? Well, um, climate change, like things like um, heat waves, wildfires, increased rainfall and droughts all play their part in increasing these uh, non-communicable diseases, as well as worsening existing health conditions. We know global heating in in particular um, is increasing non-communicable diseases and mental health conditions, Um, you know, kind of jeopardizing sustainable development and hitting those least responsible, you know, as I mentioned before. Um, but um, an increase in these diseases um, also putting a further strain on um, health systems and uh, proof fatal um, to those in vulnerable and more remote communities who don't have access to the right healthcare as well, which yeah. is kind of at the, at the heart of this campaign. So let, let's let's bring it closer to home because I, I guess because that's one way that people will talk about this and action might come. Look, I, I'm in cosy Hertfordshire right now. All right. And uh, you know, we, we've you've been talking about the awful floods in Pakistan. You know, you know, and I, I can I can see this. I know this is happening, but I'm not experiencing it. What kind of things to bring it a bit closer to home affects me? You know, I'm I am in cosy Hertfordshire, right? Today is a beautiful day. Um, however, you know, I'm I'm part. Hertfordshire is just a little part of the jigsaw of the world. How is this affecting me right now? Sure. I mean, climate change, this is the thing, though, is that people um, are seeing the effects of climate change, but perhaps not associating it with being climate change. So um, climate change is having a huge impact um, on the UK um, at home. And I know that um, more drastically, we're seeing it kind of abroad in the, the floods in, in Pakistan's and the droughts in East Africa. But um, I mean, this year alone, um, we witnessed one of the hottest years on record um, here in the UK, which, you know, led to a whole um, a whole host of um, of issues like with heat exhaustion and then, uh, you know, making other health conditions so much worse, like some of the non-communicable diseases that I spoke about just before. Um, the impacts of climate change are very much being felt um, at home. I think it's that. Um, people, particularly the impacts that felt abroad, obviously, are most uh, like is mostly what we're kind of coming across um, in the news because of the humanitarian crisis that it's mm. been caused. So people losing their homes, their livelihoods, food security, um, no, no longer having access to the vital health care they need. Um, but the climate change is causing warming across um, the UK. All of the UK's yeah. 10 almost years on record have occurred since 2022 you know heat waves like the summer just gone are now like 30 times more likely to happen due to climate change and we as a society are going to have to adapt to that because certainly just the the hot the hot weather significantly impacted you know my family how we went about our lives and you know let's face it our our house it's a traditional house it's 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 not built to deal with 40 degree heat. It was pretty unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of a lot of people felt that. Imagine, you know, being um, very sick already and then having to kind of deal um, deal with that kind of heat. And, you know, we just didn't have the infrastructure in place to kind of deal with it. Um, as well as like, you know, um, UK winters are projected to be warmer and, uh, and wetter on average. Um, these conditions, these weather conditions, you know, throughout the year are going to become more extreme um, and we're going to have to be more um, prepared for them to, to protect those of the most vulnerable. Yeah. And, and you know, th- there has been a recent history of floods in the UK as well, um, getting, Absolutely. you yeah. know, more prevalent, happen- happening more often. Let, let me ask uh, an- another uh, question, which is a bit more detailed, so it might be slightly unfair, but it's to do with Europe. Um, is the cases of, of malaria and uh, dengue fever which are brought on by mosquitoes and you know hot temperatures etc are they sort of slowly creeping up europe towards us you know making their way up through italy malaria getting closer and you know is it conceivable that it's going to it could be a problem at some point in in london uh, i mean i 
I couldn't answer, um, I couldn't kind of answer um, certainly like yes or no, um, just because um, it, it, it's not my particular um, area of expertise in terms of potentially predicting that for the future. I mean, um, malaria was endemic in the EU um, until like the 1970s, but now around 99% of the malaria cases reported each year in the EU are travel related. So, um, you know, local malaria transmission is is possible in the EU in areas where specific mosquitoes may be present, but it's very, very rare. Um, could potentially that change if things continue to be to heat up? Um, at this time, we, we just don't know. Um, but anything is a possibility. Goodness. All right. So some very sobering facts there. Uh, you've, you've, you've kind of alluded to this already, but the the driver essentially behind all this um, is, you know, there's less and less uh, debate behind it now. But as far as you guys are concerned, the driver behind all this is, is what? It's our dependency um, on fossil fuels uh, for right. sure. And finding, and this is kind of at the heart of the campaign. Essentially, at the uh, what's uh, you know what a, a big driver for climate change is um, our dependency on fossil fuels, and we're trying to basically ensure that the government puts in place plans that are going to be like to recommit to these plans that are going to be phasing out um, fossil fuels um, and kind of give us a timeline because. As well as the fact that, you know, we do have to rely more on renewable energy for the sake of our health and the planet is the fact that um, a lot of these reserves are um, currently not going to be there uh, what around. We're going to be running out of, you know, particularly coal and, um, and gas. I think it was 50 years, I believe. Um, so we are going to have to be moving towards instead of trying to dig to find new um, new resources to kind of continue burning fossil fuels. We need to find an alternative way that is going to be better for us and for the planet, sure. um, because despite the impact of fossil fuels on um, health, um, the UK is seeking to open dozens of new oil and gas fields by 2025. So these, this completely contrasts with the International Energy Agency's recommendations that the UK should not open any further fossil fuel projects um, in order to stay within the safe climate limits, um, you know, freeing us from fossil fuels and moving to a more affordable and less polluting um, energy supply requires the government to say no to fossil fuel companies and to any new developments as well. Sure, sure. No, I, um, as, as a charity, you, you, you're you're a health related charity and you, you really lobby on health type um, topics, you know, which, which we've been talking about, but kind of at the forefront of all this, if the cause um, is using fossil fuel and relying on fossil fuel, there's at some point the question gets asked, all right, so <laughs> what, what can we do next? Where can we get our energy from now? You know, you're, this isn't your area of expertise. You know, you're you're a health related charity, but I can imagine you get asked this question quite often. So, you know, which way can we go? Sure. I mean, specifically for this government, just in regards to uh, phasing out fossil fuels, you know, we have got um, you know a few areas of suggestions. So. Um, specifically, we need to lead on reducing greenhouse gas emissions by more than 68% by actively phasing out fossil fuels and transitioning to um, this green energy. So um, we, you know, we propose, you know, imposing kind of tobacco style bans on fossil fuel promotions and advertisements, um, implement kind of fiscal policies which reflect the true costs of fossil fuel use by phasing out subsidies and um, implementing carbon taxes. Um, and also issuing guidelines on excluding the fossil fuel industry from policy making decisions as well. Um, to answer your question in terms of kind of where we go in terms of actual like where we go with green energy and what we're investing in, um, this would need to be locally, uh, this would need to be regionally and locally led as these different kind of renewable energy types would fit better to different geographies and communities. But we need to work with these communities to be able to kind of put the right infrastructure in for, you know, different areas of the world and, you know, different regions. 
Um, because there's many different sources of renewable energy, such as wind, solar, hydroelectric and bioenergy, you know, which harness the natural power of the sun, our weather, our waterways and tides and organic materials to uh, to generate electricity. You know, it's um, it's not sustainable in the current infrastructure as it's expected that, you know, um, coal and as I said before, like coal and natural gas will last until I think around my, uh, 2060. So uh, so we need to be starting to think about this now. Right. So look, if, if people are listening to this and they want to take some action and that action might be lobbying politicians earlier in the chat, you mentioned uh, a way that uh, people can do this and actually, you know, do something. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to know, I think that, you know, a lot of our work, it's very much kind of we it's not about pointing the finger and saying, you know, like, uh, and, you know, kind of like, like that kind of blame game, you know, the work that we're doing at the moment is just kind of raising awareness and, you know, kind of um, building up that public support. So we're able to kind of ask our government exactly what we need um, for our own healthy futures. Um, so as part of this campaign, um, we're asking people to take action um, by signing the Healthy Futures campaign letter to James Cleverly and to Jacob Rees-Moss to ensure, Mog, sorry, <laughs> to ensure that the UK government uh, recommits to phasing out fossil fuels and investing in green energies for the sake of our health and the planets. Um, they can find the link to the letter on our campaign website, healthyfutures.uk. And uh, you can also connect with us over on Twitter um, at AFGH Network for the latest updates as well. Um, we'd love um, we'd love for your listeners to, to come and join the Healthy Futures movement and truly make a difference in, you know, that health for all, um, making health for all a reality. Good, excellent. Right, I'm going to go away and sign that thing right now. And and I hope uh, many other people I hope do. So much. <laughs> yeah, no, I will. So, um, Mel, thank you very much indeed uh, for chatting about this uh, important topic. No, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's been great to chat. And uh, yeah, if anybody does have any questions, then please do, um, please do, you know, come over to Twitter and um, and ask anything, or you know, send us an email. And yeah, we're just trying to get as many um, letters signed as possible um, to make as big an impact and and get the message across to those in government that are really going to be able to put the policies in place to make a difference and make this change for us and the planet. Excellent, Mel. Many thanks. Thank you so much. So after that last piece, I'm going to really start getting a little bit self-indulgent. I've been getting concerned about getting fat and also getting high blood pressure. And I've been on, actually, I've been on medication for high blood pressure for the last year or so. You know, I discovered that if you've had a little glass of wine or maybe two glasses of wine, five or six days a week for, for 10 years, guess what? You start to get fat. Who, who knew? Um... Well, actually, I deep down, I think I did know. I think everybody really knows. So for the last four weeks, I've been going to the gym and uh, twice a week. And uh, it's been excellent. I've been trying to keep track of my diet, eat a bit better. And I've had some fun. I've really quite enjoyed it. I've lost some weight. Uh, there were some photos, before photos, which were pretty horrible. The one from behind, especially, there was a big fold of flab. Uh, you really kind of look at yourself from that angle. But that folder flab, I think, was uh, termed uh, a love handle. So I still have this folder flab, but the after photos really are a bit better. But on the plus side, I do feel stronger. My blood pressure is good and uh, the weight is down. My trainer was Vlad. He was a great trainer and uh, he really did motivate me. On the plus side, big plus side, he never mentioned DOMS, that, what's that? Delayed onset muscle soreness. People that uh, kind of use phrases to uh, try and sound a bit clever and just complicate things upset me. He never mentioned that. We just talked about muscles being stiff. He really was a great trainer and um, we're going to hear from him right now. Okay, right, so I'm in the gym again. For last time I spoke to you, from the gym was about a month ago. Now, since then, I've had eight sessions in the gym, twice a week, 
uh, with my trainer Vlad. So first off, Vlad, thank you very much for taking on the task of being my trainer. Oh, you're most welcome, Mike. It was amazing. It was amazing. absolutely amazing. Yeah, you've done really well. Well, I've got to say, I found it a lot more fun than I thought I was going to. Now, before we started this last session, we had a bit of a weigh-in. And uh, so, Vlad, can you, can you just tell me what the results of the weigh-in were? Yeah, so obviously in the beginning, uh, your weight was almost 95 kilos. And then uh, a week after that, the weight kind of like fluctuated a little bit, so we didn't see that much change. However, now obviously it's week four, and overall you lost 2.8 kilos, which is just over six pounds, which I think is really, really good. So, uh, that, well, I that, mean, that, that, that's quite a lot, isn't it? So, that, you know, that's uh, it's just under two pounds a week, yeah. um, which probably if it was much more than that, you might be thinking, hang on, that's not very healthy. That's a bit too much. Exactly. I would say it's just about the perfect amount because you don't want to lose too much too fast you know we have a specific target every week and you know if you just stick to that target it's brilliant you know and obviously the first week was a bit of a fluctuation going on there because we know we didn't lose and then the second week was a bit more than we're supposed to <laughs> but i think now we're at the point you know where you're losing a good amount of weight every week and it's going well, right. well done. so Vlad, how did i do i really tried to do what you told me because I, I i went into this thing thinking right he's the trainer he's done it before he knows what he's doing. Last time I was in a gym, I was 18 or less. So that's more years ago than I care to remember. So as a student, how did I do? Uh, honestly, Mike, uh, I think you did really well. I think you did really well. And uh, well done to you for like sticking to the diet and everything. Like, you know, like I said before, and as I can say safely now, you know, if you follow all the, you know, what needs to be followed and you achieve the amazing results, you know. So in as little as four weeks, I think overall... You've done really well. You know, we lost some weight. Your strength-wise, strength I think you're much, much stronger than when we start off. You know, your balance has improved, flexibility over, and overall, everything has improved, you know? Well, one of the big things that motivated to get me to do this in the first place was my blood pressure. Because, you know, I had high blood pressure. I've been on blood pressure pills for probably about a year. I'm still on them. But throughout this course, I've been measuring my blood pressure. And generally it, it it's been better i think it's going down is 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 that a normal comment from your customers uh, well yeah yeah and it's uh, it's amazing to hear comments like this you know because obviously we can understand that you're improving your blood pressure overall health you know health and fitness so that's what we actually want to do and you know that's how we want to help people so well you, you've certainly done that in my case although early on i did suffer a bit from this typical male ego thing which yep. i can't help i'm a bloke it's one of those things so I was trying to do these exercises and lift the weights as fast as I possibly could, as yeah. aggressively as I possibly could. And actually, that resulted in a bit of a spike in my blood pressure, which stayed around for a good day and a half, two days. And I mentioned this to you, and I think you were somewhat alarmed. Yeah, actually, yeah. So that was obviously in the first week that we trained. And uh, I guess, you know, you wanted to, you know, show what you can do. And it was great, you know, but I think we just uh, went a little bit over. You know, I mean, it was a leg session as well. So obviously, you know, legs is the biggest muscle group and you pushed it really, really hard, which is great to see. But at the same time, we don't want to overdo it. So I think in the first week, we just went a little bit overboard. But then we kind of found that perfect balance and uh, stayed on so, it. So with, the, with that in mind, just take us through what, what you actually did. Because I'm, I'm wearing a, a, a training watch. Uh, it's a TomTom. So it has a readout. So what, what, what did you actually do with that information while I was exercising? So just to make sure I didn't kill myself. Yeah, so obviously, well, since you have the watch on, we kind of try to track what the heart rate is per minute and everything. So we don't want to go overboard. So, you know, we want to stick around, you know, 130 and not more than 150 at any point, you know. So just kind of like maintain it at that point, you know. So at the same time, you don't want to keep it too low. So, you know, keep it at a certain level. I think 130 would be yeah. just the, the point to be on, you know. I, I would suggest you did that very well. Although <laughs> I'm not sure how accurate my watch is all the time and we we uh, we, we had a bit of a, a scare at one point because the watch <laughs> measures different things and it actually measures fitness points so i haven't really quite worked out what they are i have to say but the watch slipped onto fitness points at one moment and uh, it started at 180 and the thing just crept up 
and um, at uh, when it started 200 or above, uh, Vlad got worried. What did you do then? <laughs> Mike, honestly, I was like, how is this guy still, you know, sitting there, you know, like with no problems at all whatsoever. And I'm just keep looking at your watch and I'm just, it keeps going up while you were, you know, sitting down and trying to cool down. So I'm not going to lie, I was a bit worried at that. But then we checked it and realized it wasn't actually exactly. measuring heart rate. So all, all was fine. Yeah. Right. Let, you, let me ask you some other questions because I've, I've had fun over this last month, definitely. Amazing. But Amazing. most days, um, I'd say pretty much every day, some part of my body has the muscles have felt stiff to the point where, you know, it's not always that pleasant. I mean, it's not really pain, but is, is that normal? Should that have been happening? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's absolutely normal, especially when, you know, this is the first four weeks uh, you're coming back into kind of training and you haven't done it for a really, really long time. So obviously the muscles, you know, just something totally new to get used to. So it's totally normal, you know, after, let's say, you did a session and then, you know, a few days later, you still feel a bit stiff in those areas that we worked out. And I would say as long as it's the muscles that we worked on, it's a good sign, you know. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take that on board. Now, as, as, as well as you helping me in the gym, you've also uh, suggested that I watch what I eat. And I have really tried to do that. And pretty much for the first time in my life, really, because before, if I fancied a chocolate cake or a beer, I, I have just gone along and had it. But for the last four weeks, I have, to a large extent, cut out biscuits and cakes, all this stuff. I've drunk much less. And that must have had uh, something to do with uh, losing the weight. Um, and I'm assuming you suggest this to all your customers. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, diet is going to definitely be the priority of always. So, you know, to be honest, if your diet is really bad, and even if you train five days a week, you're not going to see that much results, to be totally honest. So it's, I always say it's 70% or more with diet and the rest is training, you know. So right. you've done really well with the diet, especially... Uh, I appreciate that you were tracking your food as well, which I think is very, very important, especially to someone who really has a goal, specific goal that they want to lose weight. And you did that really well with uh, my fitness pal. You were tracking it, you know, and you were sending me the screenshots. So, you know, I know you were actually uh, doing the right thing. So I, I did actually find that app. Uh, of, well, maybe it's just not the app. Logging what you eat make, really made me think about it. Exactly. And uh, so yeah. I, I did find that useful. I did find it difficult because most of the food I have is, is kind of homemade. So if I was, say, having a lasagna, I can put in lasagna. But who's to know? I didn't measure, didn't weigh the food I ate. So it was up to me to say what a portion was. And I suspect I was probably cheating some of the time. That must be pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, it is. If you're not weighing the stuff, and obviously you, sometimes you can misjudge a little bit. But, you know, the whole fact that you're actually using it, it just shows that you're you know, a little bit more serious instead of, you know, not using it at all. And then let's say you had, you know, a few extra slices, you know, and then <laughs> count it as the same as, as one slice. You know? No, I, I did, admittedly, I drink less, much less. But, I, you know, last weekend I had a few pints and... Um, you know, I, I, I still achieve my goals. So, Vlad, I've got to say thank you very much indeed for taking me on as a customer for the past, past month. I really enjoyed it. So many thanks. And please, um, just mention, because I know if people listen to this and if they're in the St. Albans area, if they're looking for a trainer, they might think, yeah, Vlad sounds like a good bet. I shall give him a call. How can I get hold of you? Uh, yeah, thank you, Mike. So what, what, first of all, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. And... Uh, the easiest way, once again, is going to be through my Instagram page, which is Vlad PT Fitness. So, you know, I always say Instagram page due to, you know, my transformation pictures because, you know, you can see the transformation pictures right away. And then and mine might be up there shortly. You never know. Very shortly, definitely. Your one's definitely going to be on there. I promise, Mike. You, you want to attract people to the page, not to make them run. <laughs> no, they will definitely be attracted because I think you did really, really well in the last four weeks. So, well done. Well done. All right, Vlad, thank you very much indeed. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much to my guests on this week's show. And they were Sandra Robinson, speech and language therapist, talking about dysphagia. Um, Melissa Jones from Action for Global Health. My personal trainer, Vlad. Thank you to you all for listening. And a special thanks to the show sponsor, Algacells, who bring regenerative orthopaedic medicine to the UK. See their website, algacells.com, for details. If you or a loved one are in pain, please do have a look. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.